Isn't God good? Two-thirds of his name, or I don't know, half of his name is most of his name. He is good. He is worthy of our praise. And he is faithful. That describes him. He is just. He is righteous. He's long-suffering and patient. Kind. Kindest person. Kindest, kindest person that you'll ever meet. Sees the best in people. Wow, he looks past a bunch of junk to see the good that's hidden in there sometimes. And then you and I are called to be like him. So starting this new year, we are going to do that. We're going to be like Him in everything, in our business, in our home, in our personal life, in our corporate church life, wherever it be that we be like Him, that that be the thing that be resonating in our heart. What would the Father have me do here? How would He have me respond? What would He have me say? How should I have my faith in this situation? And that we just be like God. That's not part of the sermon or anything. That's just like set the stage for 2020. All right, if I could have a couple ushers up here, maybe two of them. I'll have you pass out some papers. What I have here is... Um, if you're if you're with your spouse this morning and you're sitting with them, just take one. And um, but if you're not w- sitting with your spouse this morning, go ahead. You can both have one, and just pass those out. These are um, here. I'll borrow yours since I gave them all away. I didn't realize it, but I went on last night and was looking at um, what's Brother Keith Moore been preaching lately. And uh, here at the same time we started our series on uh, Redeemed from the Curse of the Law, he started the same series. And so I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. And, um, and then I got to looking and I saw, wow, he put together this paper about all the diseases that are in the curse of the law and how the different translators, the different translations, what they call it. And so you don't need to do it right now, but um, take the paper home and look through it and see all the different things that are listed. And, you know, in the end, they're all listed um, because the word says every disease not named in the curse of the law is still part of the curse of the law. But there, it helps. Some of the King James language is a little bit archaic to us, and we don't necessarily understand what some of it is in nowadays terminology. And so, this helps break it down into language that we can understand today. And um, then at the end of all those papers and descriptions, then it gives you the answer to it. But I thought I would just pass that out and it might uh, help bring light to what the curse of the law was as far as the sickness side of it or diseases and the destruction side of it. Um, <clears throat> We have been, uh, started a series on being redeemed from the curse of the law. And we've had, I think, three sermons on it now. 
uh, not necessarily week back to back, but when I've been here, we've, we've just continued in that series. And so if you have not been with us and not heard the prior sermons, please do go back and listen to them as uh, they're, they're life-changing. It's the life-changing Word of God. And so we're going to continue to build upon what we've already built on. We're not going to take the time to go back and, and rebuild everything for those of you that weren't with us then. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3 and we're going to jump right in. really good to be back home with you all. There's just no place like home. You know, you go away, you have a wonderful time, and then you look at each other, my wife and I do, and we're sure glad we have our people. Because they're our people. Think like us. Talk like us. Believe like us. And, and fellowship, and when you can link up arms with people, there's strength in that. You know, one can put a thousand to flight, the word says, but two, ten thousand. That don't make sense, does it? Two should be able to now do two thousand, right? One does one thousand, two do two thousand, but no. There is a multiplication that takes place, and then suddenly it goes from one thousand to ten thousand. Well, imagine what three or four of us could do, or a hundred of us. Put the whole world to flight. Galatians chapter 3, and let's begin reading in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, I want you to take special notice of this morning as we read through this, of the phrases of the word faith, every time the word faith comes up or the word believed comes up. Because how many know that without faith it's impossible to please God, but that He's the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him and your faith There's reward to your faith. That when you say, okay, I believe. And we're going to take a closer look at what faith is. But what I I want to stand out to you this morning as we read through here is when it talks about faith. Let's start in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, how does faith come? Well, faith comes by hearing the Word. That's what it tells us in Romans 10. Maybe we'll read it later this morning. But faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word. So as you hear the Word, now the knowledge of God's will is in you. And as the knowledge of God's will is now in you, that's where faith comes from out of that knowing what God's will is in a situation. And we are to know what the will of God is. Ephesians tells us that, it, that we need to not be foolish. It's don't be foolish, but know what the will of God is. So if you don't know what the will of God is, then it is your duty. Find out what God's will is in this situation. And then once you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do? And He reveals His will to you, shows you how to pray, shows you how to say. Then you can stand in faith now and believe to receive that thing which He's told you. How he's told you to do it. You know that statement that we've often heard and often said that faith begins where the will of God is known. So everything's going to always come back to that. Well, what's God say about it? So whether it be healing, whether it be, you know, your prosperity, because we've looked at both of those things in 
being redeemed from the curse of the law, poverty and destruction and disease and all these things. When we handed out this paper, that's all part of the curse of the law. But we've been redeemed from that. So it takes faith to believe that. Now we know what God's will is concerning those things. Let's keep reading. So it says here that it's by hearing with faith. Verse 3. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? How did all these miracles come? How does the grace of God come? What is the grace of God? It's Him helping you, His ability towards you. How does that come to you? By following a set of rules or by faith? It comes by believing that they belong to you. Believing that you receive that they belong to you. It comes by faith. Hearing by faith. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God, well, the Lord had said something to him, right? And he believed the Lord. The Lord said something to him that was pretty crazy, really. He he was an old man. His wife is barren. And you're going to have so many descendants, you're not going to be able to count them. Look at the sand. Look at the stars. Man, they don't even hold a candle to how many descendants you're going to have. And he's 100 years old. And Sarah is barren. And yet, it says that Abraham believed God. Believed Him. Now, did he believe Him because he felt young and spry and full of virility? And, and Sarah just looked so fertile? No. That's not why he believed God. He believed God because, well, God said it. And see, that's where everything comes back to. It's because God says it. Here, let's keep reading here. Just as Abraham believed God, so that's faith, it was credited to him for righteousness. See, the just will live by faith, is what Hebrews tells us. Well, actually, it's a quote from the Old Testament. But the just, the righteous, they're going to live by faith, by persuasion. Persuaded about something that even though they don't see it in the natural, they see it in the spiritual realm. Persuaded. Confident expectation of it. So Abraham believed God. It was credited to him for righteousness. Verse 7, so understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Someone say, I have faith. I'm Abraham's son. I believe Verse 8, now the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. There it is again. By faith and foretold the good news to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith, there it is again, are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So you say, well, you know, we hear the statement, well, I can have the, or, or I have the faith of Abraham. Well, the faith of Abraham was simply believing what God said. I believe what he said. Not because I see something in the natural that would lead me to believe it. See, it's where the natural fact and the spiritual truth come together. And if you are looking at the natural fact rather than the spiritual truth, well, that's how doubt and unbelief, where that comes from. And you go, yeah, right, God. I'm a hundred years old, she's barren, not possible. Unbelief, right? But he didn't look at the natural, he looked at the supernatural. 
Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. That was 613 laws that were given to the children of Israel. Didn't keep, if you didn't keep all of them, you broke one of them, you were guilty of all of them. <clears throat> verse 11, now it is clear that no one, everyone say no one, no one is justified before God by the law. I'm so glad that there's more to this, this sentence. That it doesn't just end there. That you all are kaput. Gentiles are all bound for hell. Nope, it's not what it says, does it? No one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. There it is. The just will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Someone say, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. I am redeemed. Man, it's just good to say that. I probably said that more in the last several weeks than I did in the previous number of years put together. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. And when I think of something, I like to just say, I'm saved from that. <clears throat> I'm redeemed from that. In fact, the other day, me and the children were going down the, down the road in the car, and we were just telling a whole list of things that we were saved from. And we were having quite a good time about it. You know, um, what are you saved from? What are you delivered to and out of? <clears throat> what are you redeemed from? Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Well, it's important that we understand that Christ didn't just redeem us out of something or from something, but that He actually set us, gave us something. And, and if we keep reading there, it tells us what that is. Verse 14, here's, here's the answer. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. It would be you and I, the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The only way you're going to receive the promise is through faith. The promise comes because you believe that what God said is true. Now, if you do not believe that you are redeemed from the curse of the law, then it's not true for you. You can have exactly what you believe in this case. Believe I'm not redeemed from my sins. Well, you're not. I'm not redeemed from sickness. Well, you're not. I'm not redeemed from, you know, whatever it be, poverty and on down through the list of all the things that were included in the curse. But if you'll believe that Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law, if you go back and you read in Deuteronomy 28 and you see all those things, what the curse is, uh, on this paper, you'll go through even on the sickness, you, go, you look down here and you go, hmm, Inflammation. What's inflammation? Well, here, this guy, he translated it as malaria fever. Well, that's good to know when I travel overseas. How about cold? Oh, colds. Well, we get those here in the States. It's good to be redeemed from a cold. I'm redeemed from colds. Infections. Well, that's another good thing to be redeemed from. How many believe that, you know, the Lord redeems me from infection? He just redeems me from infection. I believe he, he became a curse for me. He redeemed me from the curse of the law. And part of the law, curse of the law was infection. It says it right here. I'm redeemed from that. And so, by faith, it only is going to work for you by faith. Not some other way. 
lot of believers would like for things to just fall on them without any effort from their part. Without, you know, they just want the miracle without the believing, without all the work of it. But did you know that it takes effort? That's why the Word says to fight the good fight of faith. It doesn't say relax in a hammock and let faith fall on you. But it takes effort. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to stand. You're going to have to take a hold of the Word. Gird yourself with the Word of truth, with the belt of righteousness, and all the different things that are part of that. And you're going to have to stand in that truth. That song we sang this morning, you know, when I don't know what to do. And then it lists all the things. Man, there's powerful song, powerful declarations of, of what faith really is. How faith looks and how faith is released and the actions of faith. And all of these things are vitally important in order for us to realize all the things, uh, to say it a different way, not realize it, in order to see it come to pass in our life. These things that we're redeemed from and that we walk free of these things. Let's keep reading here. So the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Excuse me. He goes on talking about the promise. Let's jump down to verse 22. But the Scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise, remember the promise is only believed by faith, received by faith, Abraham had a promise, he believed it by faith, and then it came to pass, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Someone say, I believe. I believe. So that the faith, so then it says, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. So how are we justified? By faith. But since that faith has come. See, there was a time where they looked forward to this day. Hadn't come yet. But now that faith has come. It has been released into the earth. We now know about it. The good news has been told. The faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So everything goes through Jesus. Jesus is the door. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the way. I am the life. And so all these things come through Jesus. And what did it say? We read just a little bit ago that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. So all roads to heaven lead through Jesus. All paths to deliverance lead through Jesus. And what Jesus did for us. What He accomplished for us. He paid the price. He was hung on the cross. He suffered in hell for us. And God raised Him from the dead. Didn't leave Him there is what Scripture says. Acts chapter 2, you can read about it. And when God raised him from the dead, now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Remember the throne room we sang about this morning. We can run to the throne room. See, the word says come boldly, invites us, commands us to come boldly to the throne room and find help. Grace is what it calls it. Find help, find grace and help. 
says both things. In the time of need, or when you need it the most. So it's by faith that we receive all the deliverances, all the freedoms, all the protection. It's by faith. Because you believe it. Because you believe it. And if you don't believe it, then it doesn't happen. You just simply are off in what we would call, call today hope. Because when you read hope in the Bible, it's different than what the way we use the word hope today. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, is what Hebrews tells us. Well, that, it, it, really, if you break apart that word and you look at it, it means a confident expectation. Amen. Confident expectation. Today, when we say hope, we mean I wish. I would like it to be. I wish it was. I hope it is. So don't say we hope and pray. Oh, we're hoping and praying. Well, then, unless you're using hope the way they did in the Bible, that's great. But if you're using hope the way we use it in today's vernacular, well, now you're saying I'm praying without faith. I'm just wishing. And we know that prayers without faith don't do the same thing that a prayer with faith does. The prayer of a righteous man Avails much. Makes great power available. Let's go over to... I already quoted the verse, but let's read it so you can lay eyes on it in your own Bible. Hebrews 11. And then we're going to go to Matthew 16. Hebrews 11. In verse 6, now faith, or I'm sorry, now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him, there's action, draws near, draws near to him must believe that he exists. And rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So when you draw near to Him, obviously you wouldn't try to draw near to something that doesn't exist. Right? So your action of drawing near to Him is proof that you believe. You know, in James it says, I'll show you my faith by my works. By my action. Peter showed his faith by his action of getting out of the boat. The rest of the disciples, they could have claimed they had faith. But it's evident they didn't because they all stayed put in the boat. Now we don't have record in the Bible that they claimed to have faith about that situation. I'm giving a a what if, right? If they would have all went away from the boat going, yeah, we were full of faith, but Peter doubted because he sank. All Peter has to say, hey, I'll show you my faith by my Stepping out of the boat. And so, the same is for you and I. Where is our faith? When it comes to being redeemed from the curse of the law and all the things that are part of the curse. Man, I mean, poverty of all kinds and destruction and loss and death. And, I mean, 
diseases and sicknesses and just, I mean, you go over that list and you just want no part of that list. And that list has, I think, um, I could be wrong, but I thought it was only sicknesses on this list and diseases, not any of the uh, poverty and, and the um, destruction in, in that way, financial destruction. But you know, the word says that the blessing of Abraham is ours. We read that a little while ago. So what does it mean when the Lord says, you're blessed? Is that just nice poetry that the Lord's trying to sign, sound nice and pat you on the back and make you feel good? Say, they're there now. You're blessed. Be blessed. No, right? In fact, in 1 John it says if someone has need, if a brother has need, brother or sister have need, and you say, be blessed and go on your way, and you don't help them if you have the ability to help them, it's useless. By that very description, it shows that to say be blessed means to actually put action behind it, to do something about it, and to help them with where the need was. I'll give you an example, because it's important that we, you can't have faith for something if you don't know what God's will is in it. And so for you to understand and to have faith that God wants me blessed, and I mean when he says blessed, it's way past what I think. Let's look at two real quick examples. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 26. We read this several weeks ago about Isaac's blessing. This is where God shows up. You know, God made the promises to Abraham several times in that covenant he made. And now he's affirming it to Isaac. And when he does, let's just look and start in verse 1 of chapter 26 of Genesis. So there was a famine in the land. Well, how many know famine means lack? Lack of rain, lack of I don't know what. Lack of resources, lack of food, lack of enough, right? So there is lack in the land. There's famine in the land in addition to the one that had occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines at Gerar, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Now, the promise is coming to Isaac. It says, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as a foreigner. He says, don't go down to Egypt. Stay put where you're at. Stay in this land. This is the direction of the Lord to him. And he goes on then and confirms the promise. He tells him, he says, um, <clears throat> in verse 3, stay in this land as a foreigner and I will be with you and bless you. And I will give all these lands to you and your offspring. And he goes on down and talking about being as numerous as the stars of the sky and all the lands and the earth and all these things. And he's just going to bless all. In fact, let's look at that. He says in verse 4, I will make all your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. You're part of his offspring. He said, I will give your offspring all the lands and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. You are called, you are established in heaven to be a blessing to the nations. Because through Jesus, you have received, but through that seed Jesus, you have become the sons of Abraham. And you are now called, and it, the mandate is upon you to be a blessing. But it's hard to be a blessing when you have nothing to give spiritually, when you have nothing to give physically, when you have nothing to give emotionally or mentally, and you're drained and broke and sick and tired. And, and It's hard to be a blessing that way, isn't it? But it says, all of us are supposed to be a blessing. Now, what does God mean when he says, I'm going to bless you? Look down to verse 12. Isaac, so, oh, well, verse 6 says, so Isaac settled 
there in Gerar. Verse 12, Isaac sowed seed in that land, middle of famine. Well, he clearly is not looking at the natural to decide to sow this seed. He must be like his father Abraham and believing the promise of God and saying, okay, you told me to stay here, so the provision is where the Lord sends you. Remember Elijah? He goes in and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And the Lord said, go down to the brook Cherith. There will I feed you, was the Lord's word to Elijah. So Elijah went down, and that's where he was fed, where God's provision was. So here, God's provision is, he said, I'm going to bless you. Stay in this land. I'm going to bless you. Verse 12, Isaac, in obedience, sowed seed in that land. And in that year, he reaped a hundred times what was sown. Did you see that? One hundred times. Middle of famine. And he's going to have just like bumper crop of bumper crops. I mean like a good bumper crop looks at this crop as wow. One hundred times what was sown. The next sentence says the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. When God says I'm going to bless you, he means it. It's not like, um, well, Isaac sowed seed in the land and they weren't sure, but they thought maybe there was a little bit more there than the Philistines had. They got a few more baskets than the Philistines got, they think. They're not sure. Maybe it was an accounting error. Not one of these slight, we're not sure type of blessings. This is like, man, without question. In fact, you just keep reading, and he had flocks and herds of sheep and cattle, multiple ones had slaves. Philistines were envious of him. Look over to Leviticus 25. So that was an example of when the Lord says, I'm going to bless you, that he means it. Now, Isaac had to receive the promise by faith, and his faith was evident by his actions. Is everyone clear on that? Would have he reaped a hundredfold if he'd have went down to Egypt and sowed? No. No. Here in Leviticus 25, so now this is hundreds of years later, 400 some years later, and um, we have, it might actually be around 500 years later, uh, no 400 I think. Whatever, it was a while. Okay. <laughs> And the children of Israel have left Egypt and they're now out in, in, in the desert and the Lord is giving instructions to them. Right around the same time what Jen read to us this morning about when they were building the tabernacle. And so in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai at the same time. You know, he spoke to him there. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I'm giving you, the land you observe, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord. You may sow your field for six years, and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years, but there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year. 
a Sabbath to the Lord, and you are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest, the grapes of your unintended vines, untended vines. It must be a year of complete rest for the land. So they weren't supposed to go out and try to gather this stuff up into their barns. They were allowed to eat from it. The next verse tells us that. So whatever the land produces during the Sabbath year can be food for you, for yourself, your male and female slave, and the hired hand or the foreigner who stays with you. All of its growth may serve as food for your livestock and the wild animals in the land. But they weren't supposed to harvest it and try to put it up and store it and, and for that off-season, right? So for six years, they're supposed to plant. And then in the seventh year, they're not supposed to plant at all. And if you'll look down to verse 18. You are to observe my statutes and ordinances and carefully observe them so that you may live securely in the land. <clears throat> then the land will yield its fruit so that you can eat, be satisfied, and live securely in the land. If you wonder, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't sow or gather our produce? And the Lord says, I will appoint my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the previous harvest. You will be eating this until the ninth year when its harvest comes in. So year number six is going to have a bumper crop of three times what you would normally bring in. It's going to be enough to sustain you all the way through the rest of year six, all the way through year seven when you're not doing any planting or reaping, and then all the way through year eight when you planted and are waiting for that crop to arrive at year nine. When the Lord says, I'm going to bless you, it, He means it. Like three times the blessing of what would normally, ordinarily come out of these crops. So I say all of that to say, are you believing the Lord that He's redeemed you from poverty and that He's blessing you, that He's made you the head and not the tail? That when Jesus said, you know, if you'll seek first my kingdom, my things, my ways, my righteousness, if you'll do that first, all these things that you need are going to be added to you. Do we believe that when the Lord made provision for us to involve Him in our finances, in our sowing, that there will, will be a reaping with that? That when you sow, that He said, you know what, what you, whatever you sow is going to come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Men will give unto your bosom. And sometimes we just regulate that only to finances, but really that was said in the context of forgiveness and all of that. If you'll just walk in forgiveness and these things, it's going to come back to you that way. If you'll walk in love, it's going to come back to you that way. If you'll walk as He walked, but of course some of that is going to include our finances. So do we believe it? I believe that we do, and I think that there's room for us to come up. In our faith. That our faith can become stronger. That we can go out and, and in these coming weeks that we're going to go away with, a, with an unshakable faith. In the blessing of God. In, in the deliverance of God. In the protection of God. and That He redeemed us from these things. And when some of the curse shows up, man, we just are quick to remind it. And to operate in faith. That nope, I'm redeemed from that. And this is mine. This belongs to me. So let's talk about how we're going to do that with in faith. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. See, you can have all the faith in the world, and if you don't 
release it, if you don't know how to act upon it or release it, it doesn't do you any good. Remember the story in in Acts chapter 14 where Paul is preaching. Uh, Apparently he's preaching the health and wealth gospel because at the sound of his preaching there's someone that had been sitting there lame from birth. He got faith to be healed. And Paul saw that he had faith to be healed, yet he's still sitting there, still crippled. He's not healed. He just has faith to be healed. So just because you have faith for something does not mean that you're going to receive it. You have to know, how do I act upon my faith? How do I release my faith? What does it look like to to take faith and to put it into motion rather than just having it being penned up on the inside of you? And so here in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking and he asked that question. They were in uh, modern day Lebanon, I believe, and um, approaching Israel and they, were, they had gone up north and, and then on the way back they, he asked the question, who do men say that I am? And of course they said this one and that one and then he says, well, who do you say I am? Peter said, well, you're, you're Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that was revelation given to him, Jesus said, not by flesh, but by spiritual, by the Father in heaven. And so then he makes this statement. He says in verse 19, Jesus said, He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now what do keys signify? They signify authority, right? If you have the keys for something, that means you have the right to, unless you stole the keys. Right? But if you have the keys rightfully, if someone gave you keys to something, that means you have the authority to go through that door. If you have a key that's been given to you for the church building, it means you have the authority to come and to unlock and come into the building. If you have keys to my house, that means you have the authority to come and open the door and come into the house. So keys denotes authority. So he says here, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. I said the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's giving authority for the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, this is the same person who said to the disciples, pray this way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants them in that authority to bring the will of God, bring it to the planet. Everywhere they go. He says, I give you the keys. Now, if you give someone keys, you don't give them keys so that it makes a jangly sound when they walk around. You don't give them keys so they can hang it on their hook and it looks nice on the wall. You give them keys because you expect them to use it. In fact, you expect that these keys are not going to be just given away and never be used. Right? If you, if you say, well, I, I want to clean the church house. Okay, so here's keys. Right? Now you have authority to go in the door and do what you have been commissioned to do, is clean the building. But now if you run away and take the keys with you, we would never give keys to you if we thought you weren't going to use them. But we're going to put them into the hand of the one that says, I'm going, and that will use them. When neither would Jesus give keys to his church... Here, this is the first time that he uses the word church. In verse 18, he had said it. He said, I, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this rock of confession, on this rock of revelation, I will build my church. This is the first time he used church in the whole Bible. And he says, on, I, I will build my church, and the forces of 
hell, Hades, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven because he expects that you're going to use them. And he says, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. So he's expecting us to bind and loose things. It's going to take faith. This is going to take faith. Now, he already paid the legal part of it spiritually. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's one of the things that we're going to bind? Well, we're going to bind up those things that are part of the curse. We're going to loose the things that God's given to us with these keys, with these authority. If you'll just jump a chapter later, or verse chapter 18, he uses the same kind of language. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 18, he says, I assure you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, so he's bolstering what he's saying again. He said, I'm telling you. I'm going to tell you again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. So there is a faith that needs to come into play. We have to believe it in order to receive it. We have to stand in faith and operate in faith and release our faith. By the way, I had about at least three sermons worth of material for this morning. So I was aware that we weren't going to get through it this morning. So we're just getting a good running start at this thing. Let's go on over to... Let's go to Mark chapter 11. See, he has given us the keys and with those keys comes the responsibility to speak. How are you going to bind and loose things? Well, with your mouth. We were just read in, in, in Matthew 18 that he says, whatsoever you, you bind will be bound, and whatsoever you loose will be loosed. And, and man, if two of you agree about whatever you ask for, that's speaking, that's language, that's, that's going to take your words. It'll be done. Not whatever you think, that's not what he said. Whatever you think will be done. No, that's not what he says. Mark 11, let's go to Mark chapter 11. And what had just happened here was the fig tree had been cursed. Jesus walked out in verse 12 of chapter 11. The next day when they came out from Bethany, he was hungry. And after seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find out if there was anything on it. He didn't know. Some people think, well, Jesus knew everything. No, he didn't. He didn't know if there was fig trees on the tree or not. He went to go look. So he went out there. And to see if there was anything on it. And when he came to it and he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. <clears throat> he answered and said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. He spoke to the tree. Notice he didn't tell the tree, tree be withered up, be dried up. He used his words, but he actually spoke the end result. He spoke what would be happening at the end of it rather than how it would arrive at that conclusion. Now, let's go look at what, what takes place next. So, in verse 20, early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. 
Jesus replied to, apparently they didn't expect it to happen. Or maybe they thought it would take a long time, I don't know. But they're shocked at it. Jesus replies to them, have faith in God, or better translations say have the faith of God, or the God kind of faith. And then he says, I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, he will have whatsoever he says. Now, if you read the verse, you'll notice that um, the translations that are, are very literal, more word-for-word -word translations, they'll have the word says in this verse three different times, and they have the word believes one time. He doesn't say that if you believe in your heart and think mountain be cast into the sea, that the mountain will be cast. No, he said, if anyone says to this mountain, be cast into the sea. So the number one way that you release your faith is by speaking the Word of God into the situation. By finding what the will of God is and by speaking it over your life. So it is paramount that you be reading the Bible. That you read and you know what the will of God is. What His Word says. Because the strongest declaration that you can make is when you make the declaration God has made about you. And when sickness comes, when poverty comes, when destruction comes, you, disease comes, there are all kinds of weird stuff. You say, no, I am redeemed from the curse of the law. That means I've been purchased out of it and this does not belong to me. No, I reject it and refuse to have it. Instead, I receive the blessing of the Lord, the promise that came to Abraham and now belongs to me. And I walk in divine health because he, he, by his stripes I am healed. I receive my healing through the redemption Jesus provided for me. And you just speak this out over your body. This is how you speak to the mountain. But what does it say next? If you say to the mountain, or you say to the sickness, or you say whatever to needs said to, and you don't doubt in your heart, this is where the faith comes in at. Faith comes by hearing. So it's important. Know what God says about the situation so you can say what He says. And now, you don't want to doubt on this thing. You want to believe faith. And out of that faith you speak. It says, but if you believe that what you say, saying is a natural response to believing. Did you hear that? Speaking is the natural response to believing. If you believe it, you're going to say it. If you believe it, you're going to say it. Sometimes we say it in ways that we should not, right? We speak things over our life that we should not. Because, well, we believe those things. And then he goes on and says, and, and, and oh, and when you say it, then you're going to have it. Verse 24, if you have faith, of course. Verse 24, therefore, I tell you, all the things that you desire and pray for, or ask for is the word. All the things that you desire and ask for, here's how, how to receive them. Believe, so you've already done the speaking. You've already asked, you've already said, you've already declared, you've already spoken. It says, now what comes next? Believe that you have received 
That word is past tense. If you're reading in the King James, it's not going to say the word received past tense, but if you'll look it up in the original language, it is past tense. Believe that you have already received it. Believe That's faith. Seeing something that has not yet happened as though it has happened. When God said to Abraham, man, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have more descendants than you know how to count, the way to believe that Well, Abraham wasn't looking in the natural, was he? He didn't check in the natural to see if the Word of God was true. Now, we know that he made some mistakes in there and wasn't always in faith. But in the end, he got into faith and the promise was fulfilled. So if you and I have to run and go check the symptom every time to see if God's Word is true, that's not how we determine whether it's true or not. Just because you see a wind and a wave does not nullify the promise. You still have the promise. Don't let go of the promise. When Peter was out walking on the water, it says he began to look and observe the wind and the waves rather than the promise in Jesus. And when you're trying to hold on to the promise, but then you're too busy looking at the wind and the wave, that can bankrupt your faith. But if you believed that you received it, might you act differently than a person who is waiting on it? Yeah, you're going to thank the Lord, you're going to rejoice, you're going to shout. I've told the story before, but how I had one time given, told my children in the car that we're going to go get some ice cream. And there was a lot of rejoicing and shouting and, oh, thank you, Daddy, and thank you, Daddy. And, man, the car was really noisy for a little while. And not a one of them had ice cream in their hands. But yet they all acted like they had ice cream in their hands. By the way, they were rejoicing and shouting and hallelujahing and singing Dad's praises. So some minutes later when we pull up at the ice cream store and we go in, All of that commotion had stopped because they were too busy eating ice cream. Now they thanked me again, but my point is believing that you received it is rejoicing as you have received it. It's thanking the Lord for already accomplishing it because you have to see it. We're going to close with one more scripture. Maybe we'll come back here uh, next week, but let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we're going to close there. This principle of, there's many scriptures that we could go to to continue bearing out um, not only the principle, but also the commands to, to walk this way. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is facing all kinds of troubles and problems and pressures. And in the natural, he has more than enough to cause him to be discouraged and dismayed and to give up. In verse 7, we're going to begin in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this he's calling his body a clay jar. So that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. He could have been like, whoa, where's God in all of this? Why has He abandoned us? But no, that's not what He's saying. He says, we are struck down but not destroyed. 
It doesn't sound like he was winning every fight. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have that same spirit of faith, what does the spirit of faith do? I'm glad you asked, because we have the answer right here. The same spirit of faith in accordance with what was written, or he who wrote... And he's referring to what was written about Abraham. I believed, therefore I spoke. He says, we also believe and therefore speak. We also believe and therefore speak. What did I say? That speaking is a natural response or a natural expression of faith. That if you believe something, you're going to speak it. If you believe that it's the truth, you're going to say it so important for you to be saying things. Sometimes we as believers, we say we believe things, but then we aren't saying them. Instead, we're saying other things that we actually believe. So don't deceive yourself. What's coming out of your mouth is what you believe. So guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. Proverbs tells us that, man, your words lie in wait for you and lie in wait to destroy you. But then James says that if you can just control your tongue, you can control your whole body and be perfect. What does Paul say? He says, we believe, therefore we speak. And if you'll just jump down to verse 16, therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. He is looking at something that is not in the natural realm. It says, so we do not look, or, or the word is focus. We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You're going to have to see with your spiritual eye. And by your spiritual eye, you'll see truth. And as you read the Word and your eyes are unveiled and faith comes and fills you, it's going to come out of your mouth now. And you begin to declare and say the truth, the spiritual truth, that holds authority over the natural truth. Because there are two. There's a natural fact or truth. Then there's a spiritual fact and truth. And which are you going to look at? Which are you going to talk? And we're going to come back to this Lord willing again next week or sometime later. If not next week. And um, I'll leave you with, with uh, one scripture in Psalms 107. You can stand to your feet. I mean, I don't know where else you'd stand to, but... <laughs> Psalms 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. so you need to say it. You need to, as you're driving in your car, as you're washing the dishes, as you're vacuuming the floor, as you're taking the shower, as you're brushing your teeth, that one might be harder, but you need to say it, I'm redeemed. I am redeemed. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for 
that he has redeemed them from the hand of the foe. What are you supposed to say? Not just I'm redeemed, but I'm redeemed from the hand of the foe. I'm redeemed from the devil. I'm redeemed from destruction. I'm redeemed from sickness. I'm redeemed from, if you're brushing your teeth, from rotten teeth. Come on. All right, Father, seal these things in our spirits, in our hearts, from your word, these truths. I just ask you, Lord, that you would continue to unveil them to us this week and and witness within us how to declare forth your word and your truth, that it would triumph over the natural in every way. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name, and I declare peace upon each one of you as you go. We have a time of fellowship downstairs, so love on one another, as this is one of the ways that we love God. Good morning. On this beautiful day the Lord has made, we shall what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Every day you wake up and you still have breath in your, in your body, it should be a rejoicing day for you. Because we only have one shot at this. And when that breath is gone, your time is gone. So you've got a day to rejoice and worship the Lord and praise him and thank him. And that's a good day. Amen. I'd like to encourage you in Psalm 63. Oh God, thou art my God, early, early I will seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see the power and thy glory. So as I've seen thee in the sanctuary, because of thy loving kindness, it's better than my life. My, li- my lips shall praise thee, and I'll bless thee while I have life. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied. My soul shall be satisfied with the marrow and the fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Are you filled with the joy of the Lord today? Well, you've got the fruit of the Spirit in you, and one of that is joy. So let's exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Welcome back, Zimmermans, all the way from Africa. Glad to have you back to your family, safe and sound. Hallelujah. Let's all stand up together. And let's corporately, as a family, worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Father. Let's celebrate the Holy Spirit who's here. You've done great things, Lord. You free the captives. You broke every chain. deserves our praise, doesn't he? One of the ways that we celebrate him is by taking his body and his blood and remembering what the bread and the the cup symbolize and all that it symbolizes. We don't want to leave any part out. This morning we're sending out um, our team to CityGate again, as we do, and So we're going to invite those that are leaving on the... We're having two of them, actually. 
Uh, why don't both groups come up, uh, Lancaster and Columbia come up. We'll pray over you. And then um, the ones from uh, going to Columbia can go sit down again. And the ones from Lancaster are going to take communion and then go on out to uh, Lancaster City. You know, you look up at the walls, look at all the flags, you know, there's a whole bunch of them representing nations all around the world, places where uh, are in desperate need of the gospel. But you know, right here at home, we're in desperate need of the gospel. And that's what this is, is reaching out to those who are in need and in, in not only in need of financial food or, or, or physical food and financial things, but also in need of truth. Truth that'll set them free from the bondage of poverty. Truth that'll set them free from the bondage of sin. So this is just good news that we have so many up here. To so stretch out your hands to them and to the Lord and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news that you have given to us, that you have conquered sin and death, that you have conquered uh, death and hell. And Father, we thank you that you have given us a way to fellowship with you through Jesus. And Father, we call upon you and upon your name this morning for signs and wonders to be performed at, at the preaching of your word this morning. That your truth will be confirmed by your spirit to those who hear it. Lord, I ask you to, for, to give the people ears to hear down in Lancaster and in Columbia this morning. That not only their, their belly would be fed, but Father, that their spirit would be fed. Those that have already made commitments to you, that you would strengthen them this morning. Give them an awareness of your presence, of your spirit. And Father, any of those that would come into there this morning that do not know you. Lord, that you would draw them with your spirit. Even right now, set a draw upon them so that when they come in there, they encounter you. And that they make a decision for you. This is what we're asking for. Father, you said to ask for the heathen as our inheritance. And we're asking for all of Lancaster, all of Columbia, all of Pennsylvania, Lord. That's what we're asking for. And I thank you for it in advance in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone shout amen. amen. All right, our Columbia family that is ministering in Columbia, you can be seated. And then the Lancaster family will have you go ahead and take part of communion. And um, that way when you, um, you can just stay up here in the front, the, the Lancaster uh, outreach group, and uh, just take communion together. And we're going to go on and worship and, and uh, at, at the end of uh, the next song, um, then all of you can just file through, okay? And take communion together with your spouse, with your family. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Yes. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> there's no disease, there's no sickness, there's nothing that can be named. That must not yield to the name. That will not yield to the name of Jesus. And we start this morning off with that covenant remembrance of the bread and the cup because I just believe that this is a covenant year. 
Every year is a covenant year, but this year in particular, because today is the day of salvation and there's no time like today. And the time and season that we're in, I believe that the Lord is doing a thing in the earth that He's been looking forward to for a long time. And we get to be a part of it. We get to have a front row seat to what the Lord is doing. Front row seat. If Paul could have only been alive today. I think that um, he's free of jealousy. I think he uh, has something that would be akin to it without the sin part. As he looks on from heaven thinking, man, if I'd have had those opportunities. We have... Yeah, we have so much opportunity today. That's right. Yeah. I like it. Father, we thank you for your covenant this morning. Covenant of life and health. Covenant that goes throughout time and way beyond. And Father, we ask you this morning for your help and, and that your grace would be received properly here this morning. We recognize you've given the grace for this time and, and place and for, for this state and country that we are in. And Father, you've also told us to have an eye out on the world and to, to reach out to the whole world. And this is our desire and our goal starting right here at home. And so Lord, I'm asking you for your ability, for your help, for favor as we step out to do this. Lord, give us the one heart, one mind, one desire to serve you in this way. And we surrender to you, Father. And we commit to following you and your plan and your will as you direct us, as you've laid out in the word for us. And we just say, Lord, your will be done here in this nation. Your will be done here in this house. Your will be done in each one of our bodies. Your will be done upon this planet. Your kingdom come in every sphere of influence, in every realm, in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, in every people group. That your kingdom would come, your will would be done, and Jesus would be lifted up and glorified. This is our prayer, this is our declaration, and this is what we believe and ask for this morning, Father. I thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for cleansing us from all sin. Thank you for bringing us into your family and making us yours. Thank you, Lord, that you made a way where there was no way possible. We recognize you as the good father, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And we thank you, Lord, that you made this possible, that you've given us heaven, that you've given us sonship, that you've given us relationship, that you've given us eternal life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and say thank you and amen. Well, you can pass your uh, communion cups into the center aisle and we'll send uh, a bucket along to pick those up. And then while you're doing that, we'll also release the children to the their classes and the ministry workers to their various stations. It's good to be back with you. Well, that was kind of loud. <laughs> I don't know about you, but we had a very good Christmas. And a happy new year. Hope you all did too. 
We were with family, and it's a grand time. So welcome back, those of you. I know there was many more that were traveling as well. It's good to see you here. There's just no place like home, and y'all are family. And it's just, I, I missed you. I did. I was looking forward to you today. So we're going to prepare to return our tithes and offerings to the Lord this morning. If you need a cash envelope, raise your hand. Our ushers will see that you get one. If you're giving by credit card, fill out all the blanks. If you're uh, giving by check, you can make your check out to CWI. Before we proceed, do we have anyone here that's here for the very first time? If you are, we'd like to welcome you. Put your arms up. Really? Okay. Well, let's give them a hand here. Thank you for coming out. It's always good to have visitors in the house. You're welcome here. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus. You know how, maybe I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Sometimes in my time with the Lord, there's a certain set of chapters or thing that I just keep percolating. You know, I might go to other areas in the scriptures, other areas in the Bible, but I keep coming back to this one thing. It keeps being on the back burner. And it has to do with the heart. And it's in Exodus. Exodus, I'm going to read out of Exodus 35. You know, there's a lot of things that church people do that can have either just simply fleshly significance or it can be spiritual significance. For example, you can stand up here and sing and dance and everything, and that's all the further it goes. It can just be something you did in the flesh. Or it can have spiritual significance. Same with praying. You could pray, and it not be from your heart. You could be thinking completely something else. You're just going through motions. Same with giving. You could be putting something in the plate, but it's not from your heart. It's not having any spiritual significance. Well, we want it to have spiritual significance, amen? Because it's about the heart. God wants your heart. He doesn't want an offering that's from a grudging, under-compulsion heart. He wants you to choose. So, in Exodus chapter 35, and I just, I'm jumping in the middle. It's hard for me to... <clears throat> so let me, let me just set the tone a little bit. So... The Israelites have escaped from Egypt. God's brought them out. They've came through the Red Sea. He's brought them through that miracle. He's provided manna for them. He's brought water from a rock. He's guiding them with this pillar of uh, cloud you know, by, by day and fire by night. And now they're encamped in front of Mount Sinai. So here they are. They're encamped in front of Mount Sinai. And God says... I'm going to come down on this mountain, and we'll talk to you. I want you to prepare. So he gives them a set of things to do. They're to prepare, and I mean, it, it's a deal. I mean, they weren't supposed to touch the mountain, not even the animals touch the mountain. Stand back. Get your heart ready. Consecrate. Cleanse yourself. And then the Lord comes down on the mountain. And I mean, there's fire. There's smoke. There's thunder and lightning. The whole mountain, it says, trembled greatly. And they're worshiping the Lord, and the Lord speaks to them and begins to give them instruction about just right living, just how to do things right. And they're having a grand and glorious time with the presence of God. And then God says, all right, Moses, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 other elders, I want you to come up on the mountain a little further, and you're going to worship. And man, you, if you just read these chapters... Back up, I think it might start in, verse, in chapter 24 or something like that. 
They had this grand, it says they saw the God of Israel. They saw God. Now, they didn't see his face because we know that the Lord told Moses, nobody can see my face and live. But they saw him. They ate and drank. So they had to, they must have saw his form or something, not his face. They were with God. And then God said to Moses, he said, now I want you to come up further, just, just you. Well, if you read the scriptures, it says that he took along his assistant Joshua. And we know that's where God carved for him out, tablet of stone, wrote on there the Ten Commandments and gave it to him. And he had this glorious time on the mountain. And we know what happened next. Actually, I got ahead of myself. When he went up, when he was, he went up with Joshua, just him and Joshua, and went up, the first thing the Lord said to him, so this is what I want you to go back and tell the people. Tell the people, bring me an offering. So what he said, he starts out and he starts telling them instruction for the tabernacle. And then we know what happened. Joshua goes back down, or Moses and Joshua go back down the mountain. And here the people have done this whole golden calf thing. That whole debacle happened. And there was judgment and all of that. Now, we're at verse 4 of chapter 35. Because there's been rest, you know... Um, more time with the Lord, and the Lord had told Moses, okay, you carved the tablets this time. You carved the tablets of stones and come up on the mountain again. So now here he is on the mountain again, and the Lord is, is speaking to Moses. And now Moses has, he spoke to Moses. Moses went back down the mountain and said, here's what the Lord said. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And he goes on and he says different things. But I want you to catch that. He didn't just say, I want everybody to bring a contribution. Everybody's bringing something. There's a qualifier. Whoever is of a generous heart. See, if you don't have a choice, if if love, offerings, Gifts, service, all these things mean nothing if you don't have a choice. It wouldn't mean anything to Sinny if, you know, I'd said everybody is commanded to give her a gift, and if you don't give her a gift, I'm wiping out your bank account. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be nothing. I mean, they're, they're under compulsion. That's not a choice. Jump over to verses 20. We're going to read down to 29. This is... The congregation's response to this. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him. So not everybody, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting for all its service for the holy garments. Now, brought the Lord's contribution. It's for the Lord, but they were taking a physical thing to a physical place, but it was the Lord's. Okay, so we don't bring, we're not given to the church. We're given to the Lord. Yes, a physical place received it, but don't lose sight of that. They came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. So they brought what they had. Some people had gold. Some people just had some goat hair. You know, But they brought what was of value to them at the level they were at. 
It says, and everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who pre- possessed a of wood or of, of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. See, God's given us skills and talents. And there's people right in here with skills and talents. And you have the choice to use those skills and talents for the kingdom of God or for your own benefit, whose kingdom is benefiting from your talents. Choosing, choose the Lord. Choose the Lord's. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onk stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant, fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them. Are you hearing this again? Whose heart moved them, not under compulsion, free will to bring anything for the work of work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. Is the Lord's work important to us? See, we have the freedom to choose. And God doesn't want your offering if it's, you know what, I really don't want to do this, but you know, this is the thing church people do, so we're going to, just stop, just don't. Don't do it. If you have to, and you realize that's where you're at, get your heart right. Make the adjustment. Then put your offering in the plate. Then give your service to the Lord. Then bring your gift. But get the heart right, because that's where it counts. That's what pleases the Lord. That's when you know that your offering will find favor in the Lord's eyes. Amen? So we have a choice. That's what was was in my heart this morning. Let's start off this year saying, God, I choose you. I have a free will heart that's moved to do the things of God, that's moved to, to align with him and his work and his purposes and his people. So let's let our hearts move us. Let God stir your heart and let's be yielded fully to him in this new year. Amen? Let's take a hold of our tithes. Father, we're so grateful to you that you are God and that you love us and that you lead us and you guide us. Lord, we choose you this day. We choose you. And Father, we desire to serve you fully to the extent you want to use us and can use us. Father, we give you what we have. It's all for your use and for your kingdom. We just thank you for the income and the resources you've put into our possession and we give you praise for it we thank you that every need in this house is met we thank you that the people are blessed according to your word in jesus name we pray amen and the ushers can pass the baskets by the way uh, speaking of 2020 this is just um, something completely different so uh, a security uh, reminder for some of you when you write down your date you know, here in the U.S., we write down like one, what's today, the fifth? So one, five, twenty. Um, I encourage you, if it's an important document, don't write down just twenty. Write down twenty, twenty. Because all someone has to do is write a one, nine after the twenty and uh, change the document. 
Are you following what I'm saying? They can change a 20 into 2018 or 2019 easily. They can't change 2020. So that's for free. It won't cost you any extra. We're not going to take another offering for it. But just a point of security. Speaking of security, we have um, had another opportunity in the last uh, number of days on examining church security and, and noticing the shooting that took place down in Texas and how the security team there stepped up and protected the congregation. Now, there were two people that lost their lives out of that, and we were saddened by that. We were also um, glad that they had a team in place that stopped the loss of life, that stepped up quickly, and, and listening to, to the interviews with them, uh, the lead security, uh, the team leader, was saying how when this gentleman came into the church, he had, um, they all had, had flags about him, and they all noticed things about him that, that weren't right. And you know, that's always the first, so they took precautions, and they set security team members behind him in the sanctuary, and did all these things. And so when things, when he got up and started shooting, they were prepared for him um, rather quickly because of that. But you know, it all started with that check on the inside, that they were like, hmm, something's not right here. And um, so this is our lifeline, that, that witness on the inside. As you, whether you're here at the service or whether you're out at your workplace or going um, you know, around the country, wherever you may be, but the witness on the inside is what we want to pay very close attention to because that's where safety is. That's where deliverance is. That's where victory is. That's where miracles are at is following that witness on the inside. And so we um, have also in the news, if you've been paying attention, you've uh, seen the, the, one of the generals in Iran was killed, a few others with him in, in an attack um, from the United States, a defensive attack they call it. And so what this, this guy here, he, was, um, he has a lot of blood on his hands, the guy that, that they shot the rockets at. He uh, was the one that was designing the IEDs and all these different things that killed a lot of troops. They attribute about 660 was the last count I'd heard, 660 some of our troops' lives uh, directly to him. And so they took him out. Um, however, the response from, from that, from Iran, may not be what we would like it to be. We don't know. But we do know somebody. Who knows? And we know someone who can um, make, bring changes to things because we ask him to. So this is, is your call to prayer uh, over the Middle East, that you declare peace over them, that you declare safety over this nation and over our troops, wherever they are, and lift them up in prayer. When they come to your mind, when the situation, when you hear about it on the news or read about it somewhere on, on a website... Uh, just stop and pray over it. And we have, uh, we have a prayer request list that we can always tap into. It's called the news. Sometimes you need discernment just to know, you know, which one's real and which one isn't. But with all the fake news that's out there. Also, before I get into uh, our sermon for this morning, I wanted to give a thank you to you all as a congregation for your very generous gift that you gave to me and my family 
the Christmas gift that you gave to us. It was very, very generous, and um, we put it to good use. So thank you so much from Jen and I.